0: Pastor Kevin has been working through our church constitution and uh, our statement of faith over the last several weeks, and he asked me today to, to preach on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's important at times to bring ourselves back to foundational truths of Scripture like this one. The ministry and the personhood of the Holy Spirit is one of those foundational truths. But it's confusing, and so we rarely talk about it. We say something like, I feel the presence of the Spirit in this place tonight at an evening worship service. Or we may say, come Holy Spirit, as we prepare to enter into worship. We might talk about the fruits of the Spirit, but that phrase has become so often used that it can get watered down, and we forget that it has anything to do with the Holy Spirit Himself. We may talk about spiritual gifts, but that's an arena in which people get confused um, and disagree and feel uncomfortable, and so the Holy Spirit often, at best, becomes a, a little used topic, a little touched on topic, and at worst becomes a taboo topic altogether becomes it, because it becomes divisive. Um, I remember a quote that I read from a book a while back uh, I can't put my finger on the author at the moment, but it said something along the lines of, the reason we don't talk to strangers about Jesus is because we don't talk to each other about Jesus. He was referencing the church. We're comfortable talking about sports, or the news, or our jobs, or our families, or even our ministry work here in this building, but talking about Jesus is just kind of weird. It's uncomfortable. Are they going to think I'm holier than now? are they going to think I'm some religious nut, So we don't talk about Him. We don't talk about Jesus. And the same can be said about the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about Him. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit. But we're gonna talk about Him today. I'm gonna try to answer three questions about the Holy Spirit for you today. Who is He? What does He do? And why does it matter? We will spend the majority of the time on the second question. What does the Holy Spirit do? Because this is the point on which I think we get really tripped up as a church. And I hope I can offer you a fairly straightforward answer this morning so that you can walk out of here with a better understanding of the role of the Spirit in your salvation, in your personal life, and in the life of the greater church. So, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, that question holds within itself part of the answer. We know from Scripture that the Holy Spirit is most certainly a who, not a what or an it. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a he in John 14, our primary scripture from today. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor, another advocate, another comforter to be with you, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. When Jesus first introduces the spirit here at the last supper, he uses the pronouns he and him. So the Holy Spirit is a person. Charles Spurgeon the Prince of Preachers writes a person is provided for us There is none other than this is none other than God and this God is none other than a person This person is he the spirit the spirit of truth not an influ- influence or an emanation, but actually a person A.W. Tozer writes who is the spirit the spirit is God Existing in another mode of being than ourselves. He exists as a spirit not as matter for he is not matter, but he is God He is a person The Holy Spirit is not a feeling He is not something present only in our minds or our hearts the Holy Spirit exists as an individual and in such he can do what an individual can do. He can interact, he can impact, he can move. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not energy or enthusiasm or excitement. The Holy Spirit is a person. And yet not only that, as Spurgeon and Tozer both just clearly stated, the Holy Spirit is in fact God. He is the third person of the Trinity, a member of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is and has been and always will be. John 14:26 says, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That passage, whom the Father will send in my name, is really important, because God sent Jesus in his name. Jesus was the representative of God here on earth. He carried his character and his power and his love to his people. And the Holy Spirit is now sent in the name of Jesus to carry his character and his power and his love to his people. God and Jesus send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can do nothing outside of what Jesus would do because the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God are three in one. They represent each other. All that is in God is in Jesus and all that is in Jesus is in the Holy Spirit. They are distinct yet unique, yet one. God the Father sent Jesus the Son for the purpose of saving his holy people and Jesus the son then sent the holy spirit to guide his children his chosen people into all truth there are other passages that we can look at like hebrews 9:14 where the author describes the holy ghost as the eternal spirit only god is eternal we are creatures we are created we live forever in punishment or paradise but not we have not always lived only the triune God was never created and always has been. And if the Holy Spirit has that distinct quality of always being, of eternal, eternality, then he must also be God. All three are distinct, yet all three are at one in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, and the Holy Spirit is God. You might be saying, I already knew that. You might be saying, great, you just wasted the first five minutes of your sermon talking about something that everybody knows. All right, fine. The Trinity, Jesus, Holy Spirit, yes, I've heard Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've crossed myself at Mass. I've done, I know that stuff. All right, Holy Spirit is God. He's included. Good. But we need to start from the building points. We need to start from the foundation. Sometimes we need to reestablish the truth that we know. Nothing matters here. Nothing that Jesus says here matters if the Holy Spirit is not a person and the Holy Spirit is not God. So what does he do? Let's start with his name. He's called at different times in Scripture the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, amongst other things. But when Jesus first introduces the Holy Spirit here in John 14 at the Last Supper, he uses the Greek word parakletos, which is taken from two root words meaning to call and alongside. So without a perfect match in English, early translators transliterated the word as paraclete. The paraclete is literally someone called alongside. Although some translations use the word comforter or counselor, most commentators agree that the best definition for our understanding of the original text would be advocate, similar to a legal advocate in a courtroom, someone who stands before a judge and pleads another person's case for them. But it doesn't always necessarily mean this formal legal term. The advocate is someone who comes alongside to help. They stand by their side. They are a helper. Jesus says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will send you another paraclete. And that word there, another, is really important. Because that implies that Jesus himself was the first paraclete. That Jesus himself is our helper. That Jesus himself was sent to come alongside us. And Jesus serves now as our advocate before God. He intercedes before God for his people. He reconciles us to our Father. And so now here comes another advocate. Though Jesus will return to the right hand of the Father in heaven, Jesus serves As an advocate in heaven for us he will send to be with them forever one called alongside this paraclete this advocate who will be with you and will be in you verse 17 the promise that jesus makes here is that although soon he will leave he will not leave them alone the holy spirit another paraclete another advocate will come to them and be an ever-present help like we read in psalm 46 1. And Help here is the crucial word the helper Jesus says in verse 16. I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you The Holy Spirit the advocate is our helper He is here to help us the paraclete is a called alongside the children of God to help them But not sometimes or in rare cases when things get really hard He is sent to help you and be with you forever to help you forever the Holy Spirit is our helper. Psalm 54.4 says, Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Sustaining is not a momentary action. Sustaining is not something that happens over time. What we eat and when we eat it depends on what kind of sustenance we've consumed. Our energy depends on our sustenance. So if I give my kid a lollipop, they will run around like a nightmare for half an hour and they will be as happy as they've ever been, but then they will crash and scream and cry because I gave them the pink socks instead of the purple ones. And they can't handle it because there's no sustenance. That lollipop is not sustaining. But if they eat a sandwich or a salad or something that fills their stomach and the body can slowly break down over time, then they are being sustained as they go through the day with that energy. That sustaining is a constant action. The helper is constantly at our side sustaining us. The advocate, the Holy Spirit is consistently and constantly with us. There is no space we can go to be away from him. Psalm thirty-three twenty 20 says, we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. He is our helper. God, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit is our helper. And he stands at our side to support and advocate for us. But how does he help? What does that help look like? What does that help look like? Jesus makes it clear in our passage for today, John 14, but I wanna address something else real quick before we dive deeper into that passage, which is really the meat of the sermon here today. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've heard about justification and sanctification. Uh, Pastor Kevin went into these pretty uh, solidly this summer, so I don't wanna spend too, too much time here, Um, but I do wanna give you a quick Gospel 101. so that we recognize uh, the meaning of these two words before we dive a little deeper Justification is being made right with God This is what Jesus did on the cross This is what we read about in John three sixteen. Say it with me if you know it For God so loved the world that he gave his only son That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life So what we read about in Ephesians 2 8 For it is by grace you have been saved through faith And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God When Jesus died on the cross, he took the sins of the world on himself and was punished for our sins. Isaiah 53.5 tells us that the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. He took our sins on himself when he died on the cross. He took our punishment. And then when he came back to life three days later, he showed us that sin and the law and death had no hold and no power over him. Romans 8, 3-4 says it like this, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but rather according to the Spirit. The full requirements of the law are met in us not because of our own merits or because of what we have done but because of what Jesus did. We who believe are now justified in the eyes of God by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved. We are free. We are justified. Justification happened. Justification has already happened for the believer by the grace of God through Jesus' death and resurrection. If you are saved, then you are justified. The two go hand in hand. Justification happened, but sanctification is happening. If you've been a person, in this case, a human being for any length of time, then you know that being saved does not mean being holy, does not mean being perfect. We still sin. We sin willfully, meaning on purpose. We sin in ignorance, meaning by mistake. And we sin by omission, which means by not doing the things that we know we should have done. However, God does not want us to live in sin. First Thessalonians 4.3 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. God's will for you is to be sanctified. To be sanctified means to be set apart, to be made holy. God's will for you is to be holy. Leviticus 11:44 reads, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. In 1 Peter Peter references that same verse and he says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Believers are called to be holy like God is holy. We are called to be like God in whom there is no sin, no darkness, no wrongdoing, no selfishness, no envy, no bitterness, no resentment, no hatred, no laziness, no gluttony, no lust, no sexual immorality, nothing foul or indecent or improper or wrong. Instead, in him there is only love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Unlike justification, this change doesn't happen in an instant. This change doesn't happen at the moment of conversion. It did not automatically happen for all God's chosen people at the cross. Though justification happened, sanctification is happening. Sanctification is a process and one that lasts our entire lives and will not be completed until Christ returns in all his glory. Sanctification is in part our responsibility through obedience as we read and read in John 14 earlier today Jesus says if you love me you will obey what I command So there is work for us to do here, but we can't do it on our own. We cannot be holy in our own strength. It is not humanly possible That is why God sends the advocate in the name of Jesus to help us and to be with us forever To teach us all things to guide us into all truth Although we certainly play a role here, sanctification is ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what he does. 1 Corinthians 6.11, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Hebrews 10.29, 1 Peter 1, 1.2, and a number of other passages all directly mention or allude to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The paraclete comes alongside us to make us holy and to help us in our pursuit of holiness, of godliness, of Christlikeness. This is what he does. The Holy Spirit sanctifies. So how does he sanctify? What does that sanctification process look like? If we look back at today's scripture, the answer is there in John 14:26 we read but the counselor the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything i have said to you later on in John 16:13 jesus says but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth this is how he sanctifies he sanctifies us through applied knowledge this is how he helps us He teaches us what Jesus has already taught. He brings to mind the things of God as laid out in Scripture. He reminds us of the promises of our Father. And here's a distinction. He brings to mind what God has already said in Scripture because that is all we need. He brings to mind the promises of God, but he doesn't say anything new. This is where people like Joseph Smith of the Mormons and Charles Taze Russell of the Jehovah's Witnesses and Muhammad of Islam got it wrong. We don't need new revelation. We have everything we need already. Spurgeon writes, There is enough in the Bible for you to live on forever. There is enough in the Bible for you to live on forever. This is a foundational truth of our faith. All scripture is God-breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and therefore scripture is sufficient. The Holy Spirit does not speak something new. If someone informs you that Jesus told them he's coming back tomorrow, run the other way. Charles Spurgeon writes, the Holy Spirit does not reveal anything fresh now. The canon of Revelation is closed. There is no more to be added. Beasley Murray in his commentary writes, it is clear that the Spirit brings no new revelation. His task is to point to that which Jesus brought and to enable the disciples to understand it and Robert Yarbrough in his commentary adds the spirit will not provide qualitatively new or independent revelation neither did Jesus but will bring to light the true meaning and significance of the revelation imparted by Jesus and there's the rub he doesn't bring anything new but he doesn't just remind us of scriptural promises either in so much as remind means to bring back to mind something you already heard instead he illuminates them He brings to light the true meaning and significance. He makes it so that we can understand and apply the promises of God to our daily lives, to our comings and goings. He makes the truth of God as found in the Bible clear to our hearts and minds. Tozer writes, Find him in the word, for the Holy Ghost wrote this book. He inspired it, and he will be revealed in its pages. He allows us to see its true meaning, to understand the depth and profundity of what Jesus meant. It's easy to read the Gospels at times and be frustrated with the disciples. How could they possibly not understand? How can they be so dull and so lost and so confused when their teacher is Jesus Christ, is God himself in human form? I mean, they're talking to Jesus. Jesus. The answer is that they did not yet have the Holy Spirit to make things clear to them. And it was not until the advocate, the paraclete, came that he made it clear to them what Jesus meant. He brought the truth of what Jesus had taught them back to their minds and clarified it so that they understood it and were able to apply it. And he does the same thing for us today. The Holy Spirit teaches the truth to our very souls. Consider this passage from Tozer. Jesus Christ wanted to take religion out of the external and make it internal and put it on the same level as life itself so that man knows he knows God the same as he knows he is himself and not somebody else. He knows he knows God the same as he knows he is alive and not dead. Only the Holy Ghost can do that. The Holy Spirit came to carry the evidence of Christianity from the books of apologetics into the human heart, and that is exactly what he does. There is nothing good in us, nothing. We are born steeped in sin and separated from God. Our hearts are evil and selfish and proud, and because of that, we cannot grasp even the basic truths of God. We cannot come to recognize our need for Jesus, our need for salvation, our need for help. We cannot grasp the basic scriptural truth that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, Romans 3.23 and 24. We can't accept that truth unless the Holy Spirit makes it plain to us. And that is the baseline. That is the starting point of salvation. To recognize your state as a sinful wretch to repent and turn to God and to believe that you are made new by the blood of Jesus. We cannot even recognize or comprehend the most fundamental bi- biblical truths without the help of the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus says that he will guide us into all truth, into all truth, not some truth or a truth, but all truth. Roger Frederickson, in his commentary writes, he will enlighten and open up the words and works of Jesus. There are many things Jesus said and taught during his earthly ministry, which the disciples have not grasped. All this will be made plain to them when this teacher comes. He will also bring to mind things Jesus said which otherwise would have been forgotten. But the paraclete is always under the authority of Jesus, clarifying and making clear his teaching and ministry. He comes in Jesus' name to unfold Jesus' meaning for all men the Holy Spirit walks with us throughout our lives and helps us understand the truths of Scripture as God intended. This help allows us to apply those truths in obedience. And that obedience allows us to grow in holiness. And that is the process of sanctification. So why does it matter? Why does the Holy Spirit matter? And why does what He does matter? This isn't my notes, but I was. We, we went to Boston yesterday as a family. Um, Rach and I took the kids into the city, um, and we stopped at Kane's Donuts and got a donut in the morning. The girls got some kind of strawberry sprinkled sugar bomb thing, and we stopped for lunch for pizza, and then we went into the park in the Commons. and We played around together, and there were all these families there and people playing together, and it was, it was beautiful. Um, But on the way, I was listening to this song um, in the car. Um, Every once in a while, most of the time, we're listening to Frozen or Daniel Tiger or some other kid's soundtrack in the car. But every once in a while, I just turn on my punk rock music and tell the girls to deal with it. And so one of the songs that I was listening to was um, uh, about the, it, it was a song from a band called Five Iron Frenzy. And it was about the moments that the disciples first saw Jesus, the apostles first saw Jesus after he came back. Uh, from the dead. And that moment when he was on the beach and he was cooking fish. Isn't it funny? Like one of the first things Jesus did when he came back was to sit on the beach and cook fish for breakfast. So it says, uh, when truth feels so distant and hope so out of reach, Peter swam across the water and found it on the beach. Truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the life and the truth. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. We live in an age where truth does not exist. You are whatever you feel you are. Your feelings dictate truth. That is an unsustainable view of life. We are, if you know yourself, if you have any, any self-awareness, then you know that you are a fickle like I do, a fickle and broken person. I sometimes look at myself and I say, what is wrong with me? I bring, uh, uh, if we can look at ourselves in reality, we can recognize how confused and weak we are. How fickle we are. How constantly changing we are. And yet our culture tells us that no, you are strong and what you believe about yourself is the truth. But what we believe about ourselves changes about a hundred times a day. When Keller wrote his book about uh, marriage, the meaning of marriage, which is an incredibly powerful book, he said, I've been married to 10 different people in the last 30 years and it's all been the same person because we change our feelings can't dictate truth something external has to dictate truth Jesus is the truth And Jesus is God. And God is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the Word. And the Word guides us into truth. And the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. That's number one why it matters. Here's number two. Because the enemy doesn't want us to know truth. If you're in life groups, you're studying this book, Gentle and Lowly, you won't have gotten here yet, but I'm going to give you a little spoiler from the end. The Christian life from one angle is the long journey of letting our natural assumption about who God is over many decades fall away, being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who He is. This is hard work. It takes a lot of sermons and a lot of suffering to believe that God's deepest heart is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. The fall in Genesis 3 not only sent us into condemnation and exile, the fall also entrenched in our minds dark thoughts of God, thoughts that are only dug out over multiple exposures to the gospel over many years. Perhaps Satan's greatest victory in your life today is not the sin in which you regularly indulge, but the dark thoughts of God's heart that cause you to go there in the first place and keep you cool toward him in the wake of it. Tozer writes similarly, the spirit-filled life is not a special, deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. But Satan has opposed the doctrine of the spirit-filled life about as bitterly as any other doctrine there is. He has confused it, opposed it, surrounded it with false notions and fears. He has blocked every effort of the Church of Christ to receive from the Father her divine and blood-bought patrimony. The Church has tragically neglected this great liberating truth. That there is now, for the child of God, a full and wonderful and completely satisfying anointing with the Holy Ghost. Does your life feel full and wonderful and completely satisfying in Jesus? Can you honestly say those words about your life in Jesus? that it is full and wonderful and completely satisfying. I think at moments I can, but at so many more, it's so much harder to realize. If you say no, I'm not surprised. I think if you are, but that's why it matters. Because there is a desperately, that is a desperately depressing fact. If we truly believed everything we read in Scripture, if we believed that God is for us, what can man do to me? If we believed that God will never forsake us, if we believed that anything we ask for in the name of Jesus is ours, if we believed that the Father himself loved us, if we believed that all the truths of Scripture, the truly deep and profound truths, were in our hearts, would we still act the same way as we do today? Would we still live the same way? Would we still spend our time doing the same things? Would we still live in such a way that our lives look nearly indiscernible from the lives of our unbelieving coworkers and neighbors? Wouldn't we be so bold and courageous in sharing our faith? Wouldn't we be so radically generous and hospitable? Wouldn't we be faithful to our spouses? Wouldn't we be loving and kind and gentle and merciful? Wouldn't we put such a greater value on the things of God than on the treasures of this world that it would shock people? If we really believed the Bible and everything it says, wouldn't we be different? I think so. I hope so. But the incredible promise here is that we can be. That we are not alone in pursuit of being different. That God sent the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the paraclete to help us, to come alongside us, to teach us and guide us into all truth. To remind us of everything Jesus said and to open up those words. To enlighten our hearts and minds in such a way as to grasp their full applied meaning. And that allows us to live in holiness, and to live in mercy, and to live in joy, and to live at peace, and to live in love. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit on our hearts and lives allows us to live in the way believers are called to live, in holiness, in righteousness, in wisdom, and in love of God and neighbor. In John 8, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's freedom in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings to mind and opens up the teachings of Jesus to the heart of the Christian. He guides us into all truth. Charles Spurgeon said, A Christian should do with the truth as a snail does with his shell. He should live inside it as well as carry it on his back and perpetually have it with him. That same truth that has the power to set us free. Free from fear and anxiety, and pride, and selfishness, and a wasted life. When we sang today, I'm so weary, in the song Hungry, so weary, aren't you tired? I'm so tired. Look at the scriptures. Ask Him to fill you, and He will fill you. Keep asking, and He will do as He promised. Ask him to increase your faith, to increase your boldness, to give you a heart that pines for the thing of God, things of God, to focus your attention so that you may seek the kingdom of God above all else. Be filled, brothers and sisters, with the Holy Spirit of God. And then go out and carry the good news of Jesus Christ to a desperate and hurting world with a powerful, a powerful movement, so real and so freeing, recognizing that God himself goes with you and in you let's pray father God father God in heaven fill your people with your Holy Spirit fill us Lord God fill us Jesus come Holy Spirit Fill our hearts and lives and reveal to us the truth that sets us free. Let us hunger and thirst after righteousness. Let us hunger and thirst after you. In the name of Jesus, our friend and our king. Amen. Amen.